and welcome to another edition of uh, edition, yeah, edition yeah. of the Nine Monty Praise episode. I'm Jack, and I am sorry? I am Joe. Uh, oh, sorry, I just said is an episode edition. I don't know. We've already we've already tripped over our words on on the opening of this podcast, so That's clearly right. we should just call it a wrap here. Yeah. So on three, the Nine Monty Praise. See you next time. See you next time. <laughs> and, oh. and as usual, <laughs> you didn't start that quote. I don't think I even, I don't think I even, you know, uh, I don't, I didn't even say the line. You just wrapped it up much yeah. like you did series one. <laughs> and interestingly, <laughs> we're wrapping up two series tonight. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's not even a micro season. It's, it's not even a post-it note. It's like, it's like, just like, I don't know. It's like a fortune <laughs> cookie. This is a fortune cookie season. Um, uh, yeah. So we're here. <laughs> We, to talk about we are here uh, that we can definitely confirm this week this we can confirm in, in the in this particular point in space and time we are here mm-hmm. but uh before we get into our topic uh we, we have uh <laughs> continuing with our tradition of reciting a doctor who quote and we are doing the brain of morbius this time and joe what 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 quote have you chosen to kick us off um my quote comes from the sisterhood of calm and it is merely sacred <laughs> sacred fire. Oh, I, you know what? As, as soon as you started, as soon as you said the sisterhood of cut, I was like, oh, I know what Joe's going to go for. <laughs> I know what he's going to go for. I, uh, that, that, which is actually very funny because the mm-hmm. sisterhood of Khan is very pertinent to this week's uh it is. topic actually the it sisterhood is. of Khan is pertinent to the story you are defending and the brain of morbius <laughs> is pertinent to the story i am defending that's right we couldn't have coordinated this better the no. brain of morbius is the connective tissue of uh, this entire podcast it's, it's a shame we didn't call this i don't know morbius be praised that's right uh, Look, well, the Galactic uh, Emperor. Uh, we could have called it that. <laughs> We're never going to top that quote. That is the best quote. Oh, hundred percent. I it it would it would mean that our like avatar, I guess, like the the image of the two Nymons would be I don't know, Solon. Uh, oh no, maybe maybe like Morbid. the brain in a jar and the monster costume talking. <laughs> That would be actually that's so funny. Which one gets Quick. to sit behind the desk? Get Kayla on it now. <laughs> we'll have a new series two logo. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And uh, Morbius has that little weird sponge or that vibration thing uh-huh. that he does go. It's like chewing gum. Cool. It's really weird. Yeah, I know. I don't. I didn't entirely understand how it worked, but mm. it looks funny. Mm. Uh, and incidentally, my quote oh, yes. is from Morbius. My is from is from Morbius himself, and it's a real favourite li- line of mine, which is uh, uh, when it is learned that I, Morbius, <laughs> have returned from the grave, my followers will rise in their millions. I feel like these the, uh, um, exclamations are just made for your voice. It it is it is a quote I do revisit mm. frequently. I feel like you can make a career out of, like, just quoting the pirate captain, Adastra, um, Soul Deed, uh, Morbius, (laughs) Omega, Magnus Grail. Yeah, sorry. 
Yeah, like introducing Jack Shanahan, acclaimed thespian, and <laughs> Doctor Who megaphone. <laughs> Doctor Who megalomaniacal impersonator. Yeah, yeah. I should get that on a business card. Oh, that's a bit of a mouthful. Yeah, hence the business card. You can't say it. I can't imagine there's another megalomaniacal impersonator. So that wouldn't actually be a unique job title. Yeah, I'm not sure what the income salary rate is like, but yeah. Self-employed, self-employed. <laughs> the podcast will pay you for your first um, job. Well, I guess, I mean, I don't think it would, I don't think I'd have to pay taxes. You know what, we're getting very on Yeah, we're doing it again. About, we are I'm doing it again. About, I'm, uh, Why are okay. we here today? We are here. What controversy are we courting? Uh, it, apparently immense controversy because we are here to defend two of the most polarizing episodes of the new, of the revived series uh, that have probably been put, put to screen to date. Both of them involving Gallifrey. Both of them, as we established, with some tentative connections to the, to the brain of Morbius. Um, both of them ending what, seasons? Both series closes as well, yeah. And mine, uh, for, for me, I will be defending... Stephen Moffat's Hellbent, and Joe will be making the case for Chris Chibnall's The Timeless Children. And Ooh, what could yes. Oh, stop throwing cabbages at me. Yeah, I. what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Nothing at all. It's going to be a highly positive hour, I'm sure. Yeah, I, you know, I remember, because I think it was me who pitched this premise, and I and I think I sent the message to you, and I was like, "What if we did this?" And then immediately you kind of just like gleamed, and you're just like, "Oh, we must do this." Well, it's only because like um, I get very huge joy from every time I, I post a, a Jodie Whittaker review on my blog, at, which is then promptly followed up by you know like uh, ten or so you know, comments from angry people that hate basically everything, um, telling me how wrong I am and, you know, how, uh, you know, I've lost all respect for you. I will never mm -hmm. read again, blah, blah, blah. And then they're back again next week, writing comments again. Like, I just think these people like to be angry. And, you, and just kind of like, hmm, okay, good, good to see you. Good to, good to be back and doing this again. You know, actually, I find, I, uh, um, to, to completely off topic, uh, Jodie Whittaker is such a lovely antidote. Jodie Whittaker's doctor, this happy, jolly doctor, is such a lovely antidote to all of the anger that is expressed by fandom. I can go and read, like, a ranty review, but then I can go and watch a Jodie Whittaker episode, and I always feel so lovely afterwards. And you're just like, yeah, what's the big deal? Get a life. Oh, sorry, no, I shouldn't say that. I'm the one doing the Doctor Who podcast. Oh. Oh yep, yep. Let's uh, let's let's startle the horses too quickly. It's like those scripts in the seventies that have lines like, you know, I promise you, there is no plot. <laughs> you have to be very careful I, uh, about saying "get alive," don't you? Yeah. So, mm. so should I should I open with the case for Hellbent then, or do you want to get some stuff off your chest first? Well, I just want to um, just start by saying I've come to uh, a remarkable conclusion about these two episodes 
um, that I would mm-hmm. like to share with you. Um, because I will be making a case for the timeless children, but I would just like it on record before we start and say it's a really, really shit piece of television. And so <laughs> is Hellbent. They're both utter crap pieces of television. <laughs> Uh, there, are, there are lots of things I like in The Timeless Children, but as a script, as a piece of television, it's awful. And so is Hellbent, and I'll go back into that. And it is partly to do with the fact that they are both set on Gallifrey. And, you know, the conclusion I've come to is Chris Chibnall has done us a massive service by wiping out Gallifrey once and for all at the end of The Timeless mm-hmm. Children. So we never have to go through this kind of bollocks ever again but they are gonna bring it back we know this well, if they, i mean it, it would be very odd if they did because that's just i mean i don't know how you could maintain credibility and bring it back again but yeah my essentially my point is this stories set on gallifrey are really terrible on the whole i don't think it does the series any favors at all i think it's alienating from general audience i think it's like it creates a massive diverse uh, divisive argument amongst fandom i just don't think like gallifrey itself <laughs> even giving the doctor like origins does does the show any favors whatsoever um so yeah i'm glad it's gone i never want to see it again <laughs> and uh frankly uh these episodes would be much much better had they not been set on gallifrey and done something far more interesting but they're not, so we're here to discuss them. <laughs> I, you know what, you know, saying goodbye to Gallifrey, they do make it very hard to say goodbye to it because it's a beautiful planet. They shoot it oh, so... amazingly in both stories. You can be as beautiful as you want. It's so bloody boring. Oh, God, have you watched Ark of Infinity? <laughs> have you seen Invasion I, of Time? I... No. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, but they didn't have this beautiful orange, these beautiful orange. No, I, I can wait. Hang on. I have watched Ark of Infinity. I was, yeah, was probably see, about 20 you've years ago. i about it because it's so dull. I seem to remember Omega getting shot or something like that. Do you I don't know. Do you remember when the series was utterly he was, he was um, obsessed with the Time Lords and Gallifrey in like sort of the Colin Baker era, you know, heading into Trial of Eternal. Remember how popular that all was? Oh, it just, Gallifrey it does meant- the show no favors at all. I think the one time it is completely successful is, I wouldn't even say the War Games, because um, it's not really Gallifrey and nothing's really been set in stone there. It's just the Doctor's Home Planet is the, the Deadly Assassin. And that's because it pushes against all the pretension and the bureaucracy and takes the piss <laughs> out of it and undermines it. And I, and they do, they, there, there are some very, I did notice there are some choice callbacks to the Deadly Assassin, in particular in, uh, uh, the Timeless Children, mm. you know, I think Jodie Whittaker at one point says, you know, humans are not allowed on Gallifrey. Um, uh, there's the, um, I, there's a callback to, I denied this reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the master talks about being in the panopticon and yeah. assassinating presidents. And I will say again, like there are some massive strengths to the Timeless Children. I do want to talk about those. Um, 
But the biggest strength of the Timeless Children is that glorious moment where that wave of blue flame incinerates the surface of the planet and is gone forever. <clears throat> and hopefully we can I, uh... move on to some more interesting things. Oh, which is interesting because like, even for me with Hellbent, which is a story I do like, I, you know, I, I'm not entirely of the mindset I, I do I, I do like it and I do defend it. Well, you are quirky. Uh, although, uh, and uh, but it's not like I don't see the 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 flaws in it and I don't see why people didn't like it. Mm. Uh, so like you know, as a resolution to the hybrid arc of series nine, oh, it's a God. bit it's a bit pants. It's a bit rubbish. It's not it's not very good. What arc? There was no arc there. There was just some random references dropped and then no resolution. Sorry, let me be more specific. By arc, I mean an occasional shot of Peter Capaldi looking very seriously <laughs> down, a, down, down a camera saying, like a hybrid. Oh, come on, do it properly. Hybrid. Like, like a hybrid. I can't... Peter Capaldi is a really hard actor to do a good impression it's of. It's so strange because, like, the hybrid is, like, at one point it's like, okay, so was it, like, half Dalek, half human? Is it a shielder? No. Is it the Doctor? What the hell was the hybrid? I, I still don't know. don't know. The hybrid was the friends we made along the way. Uh, oh, God, how obscene. But, um... I don't know. Yeah, as a resolution to the hybrid plot, it's not very satisfying. And as a as a resolution to not only you know the the arc that has not not really been an arc, but like the the promise of rediscovering Gallifrey again from the day of the Doctor, and more specifically the Doctor returning to Gallifrey proper after the time war for the first time. It's not, uh, it doesn't do that story. It doesn't really do the story of the Doctor sweeping back into Gallifrey and dealing with the, the post-war Time Lord society. Uh, and I can understand why people really aggressively did not like it, that. It does. Uh, it starts doing that for half the episode starts, and then it just abandons it. Which I think is very good. I like that about that's the story. Um, but it, uh, structurally, and as a uh, like a sequel of sorts to Day of the Doctor, that is a very odd choice. Mm, oh, I'm not going to deny it. Like, but like particularly what makes Hellbent such an odd story. Odd being a very polite word. Um, is that it comes up after something like Heaven Sent, which aside from the r roses that, is, that are rained down upon it constantly, is immaculately structured. Yeah. Uh, it's like such a tight story. Uh, whereas Hellbent, I think has a good, the spine of the story is really good. But in terms of it's veering off in a lot of different directions, it's going doing a lot of different things. It's a big, it's a bit of a mess of a story. Um, I can remember watching Hellbent with somebody, and halfway oh, through, yeah. they they turned to me and went, "Joe, what is this about? I don't <laughs> understand any of this, and that Was is a bit a of a problem." 
was that around the point where it's just like talking about like I don't know the sliders in the matrix um, and fiber yeah, optic cables yeah, and all the techno babble and the system to talk of prophecies and uh, and hybrids and and they were just like what is this what am I watching and I was like I don't know you know and I'm a fan of Doctor <laughs> Who and I understand this shit but I don't understand what's going on either I but I don't know so. If I was to make, well, I'm, I say if, for, for me <laughs> making the case you are for going Hellbent, to. Uh, uh, the, the thing that I... Oh, of all the times for this to lag. Very good. As a... Stu- oh, am I, am, I, am I back now? Yeah, you are now, yeah. But I didn't hear any of that, so off you go again. <laughs> okay. Okay, we'll give it another crack. Uh, of if the angle that I find hell bent most rewarding as a story and most redeemable as a story, again, people find this again really divisive. But I think it is the avenue by which it is a redeeming story. And we've argued about this before. Is the Doctor and Clara's relationship in it? It's. I think it's a very good character piece for them. I. Uh, I think it, it's a story where Moffat kind of does his criticisms of the doctor that you saw the seeds of in in a good man goes to war but he does them much better here uh and it's a lot more justified in a lot of ways i think i can joe i can see you tensing up and you're uh, you're putting a zip on it Mm, and i appreciate that i wish for you to continue um so, like, the reason I find help, <laughs> you're literally covering your mouth. <laughs> How do you expect me to do this? Go on. The thing I find really, uh, the thing about Hellbent is that it is the story of the Doctor returning to Gallifrey, and it's the Doctor's behavior at its absolute worst, and the story all the way through never endorses it. Unlike in A Good Man Goes to War, which kind of, as we kind of discussed at the time, tries to enjoy, you know, the Doctor at at his highest and his lowest. This is very squarely set at as at his lowest, and with Can his I make most one destruction, it's it's hmm? perversely awful characterization. Go ahead, because <clears throat> um, it's the behavior the Doctor exhibits in this story is not behavior he hasn't exhibited at various points in the past already. Right. Like, you, you, you do see that, and again, the, the example I would use probably is David Tennant's Doctor. You see seeds of that here, because, you know, you of him going too far to for his companions. You see David Tennant going to Rose, I'm burning up a star just to say goodbye. That's one hell of a goodbye he's going to. Is that true? And dialogue, same- I've quoted dialogue here, and it, it happened with Tennant Smith and Capaldi. So you've got um, Capaldi saying in this, I went too far, I broke my own rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennant said, I got too clever in mm-hmm. the end of time. And Smith says something along the lines of, oh, I need to be more discreet, I've, I've become too visible. Or something oh, like yeah, that. I've got to step back into the shadows. Well, at what point does he learn this? Like, stop doing this then. <laughs> I, well, for me, uh, the way I've, because I, 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 that is something I was thinking about that, you know, hasn't the doctor been through his paces? Mm. But, but I don't know. It's one thing, I feel like it's one thing to 
be told that in the past, but it's, it, mm-hmm. it's another thing to actually learn that. Uh, and the thing about this is that it's the doctor. The, I think the reason why the doctor's behavior is so off kilter in this story uh, is because of the context of heaven sent. Cause he has been essentially t- hurting himself for f- over four and a half billion years, they say. So it's no wonder that he comes out on the other side with a very warped perspective on what he wants to do on Gallifrey. He literally discards his own c- clothes and takes on these black, this black suit, and he doesn't speak at all for the first half of the story. It's very, oh, yes. Uh, well, see, I could go question. with that argument because that's that's really valid. And actually, I didn't really consider that because I didn't watch Heaven Sent uh, before this. But yeah, he's been through, was it four and a half billion, billion years, years of, of hell? They're not big numbers, are they? Um, you know, it could, yeah. it could have been 400 years, and that still would have been fairly traumatic. It could have been 40 <laughs> years. Anyway, um, yeah. so yeah, I get that's a good point. And yes, I could see why he's angry and irrational. But then that only really makes sense if he regenerates at the end of the story and it's a new doctor after this. Because after this, surely he should still be, you know, suffering from the trauma of four and a half billion years of, and still be angry and, uh, uh, well, frankly, bonkers. But actually, no, he's very nice and placid and lovely as he moves into the new season and Mysterio and whatever he does next. Husbands are really mm. strong. So, uh, yeah, that argument does w- have weight here, but then it doesn't really after this. See, I know, I, 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 and I can see where you're coming from here, where, you know, it's the doctor's hubris and his vanity that, you know, leads him regenerating and you get a fresh start. Mm. Um, at the same time, uh, which is, you know, actually, now I think about it, a very valid point about it. But surely... You, you couldn't necessarily do that story. You couldn't do Hellbent as the Peter Capaldi regeneration story because it's with a regeneration story, you're trying to show in to some degree the best qualities of the of that particular doctor. Why not though? How interesting would that be? Like, you know, he's oh, gone the too far. He's got to regenerate. I mean, it's essentially what they did with Tennant, wasn't it? yeah i mean it's a lot of ways yeah but it's what makes the bit where he does the whole you know it's not fair speech which is one of the best moments in the whole show where the doctor is allowed this moment to just be undeniably selfish and yeah where he's just rallying against the fact that you know he he's clever enough and brilliant enough that and he won the day mm. and yet he still has to lose but then, is but then he still does it and that's what makes that scene yeah but i don't know you don't but throughout the rest of the t- the end of time you don't get the 10th doctor going too far you get that in in the waters of mars but you don't get that in the end of time uh which would, is would be an interesting I, angle though of like you know this doctor cannot be permitted to continue because look how far I was gone. I mean, that, I mean, that would totally seal Capaldi, uh, like criticizers. Yeah, it would yeah, seal uh, the deal uh, for them, wouldn't it? It'd be like, yes, he he never should have been like this. I uh, yeah, it definitely would solidify Peter Capaldi as an unpalatable doctor. <laughs> um, 
Uh, it's like if, you know, if they did like the Colin Baker regeneration thing and he ended it by strangling someone again. <laughs> well, no, because you know what? Andrew Cartmel, I swear it was Andrew Cartmel, who, who said he would have loved to have regenerated Sylvester McCoy um, by have him, having him go mad in his last story and that he would regenerate really? in a straitjacket in a padded cell. How? And, that, and that's dark, but I mean, it's different. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, we're really just more or less talking about regeneration stories. Sorry. Now, but they have, they have definitely got a kind of pattern to them now. Um, but I don't know. I still think, because, you know, uh, you're not entirely unreal. And it's a criticism I feel like that is lobbied at both Hellbent and the Timeless Children, which is that, you know, they do these big things to the Doctor's character. For Capaldi's character, I think it's more emotional rather than a revelation. Whereas, you know, in the Times Children, it is a revelation that has emotional consequences for the Doctor. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but the long-term implications of these big, bold choices—it's—it's uh, it's questionable whether they will actually whether you can actually implement them into the story uh, going forward. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, with, with Hellbent, I kind of see, see you, where you're coming from in terms of, you know, the firstly, you know, if he's gone too far here, what, what's to stop him from going too far going forward? And the, th the, the, the thing I would say, and I'm not sure if this is the point to, you know, I, this isn't like a wholesale way of selling it, but I think you do. I think you do see the doctor learning from this this particular decision. Um, in it's very explicit, and it's a very it's not a big moment, but it is it is there in the series. In the pilot, uh, in series ten, you have uh, the the very very end of that story. You, the doctor attempts to wipe her mind. Bill's mind mm. and uh, he, in much the same way he had very recently done with with Clara mm. and um, and uh, you, you do have Bill telling the doctor imagine if someone had done this to you and the doctor kind of stops there not only does he stop and think about that but Clara's theme actually plays in that moment a little there's a little few bars of it play which is and very explicitly his mind, doesn't he? And says, "Go before I change yeah. your mind." Yeah, yeah. So, which you know, I can't hinge that to say, you know, just because you had that one small moment, <laughs> it justifies uh, the characterization in, yeah. in this finale. Yeah, but you're right; it, I, it is uh, certainly addressed. It's a fat moment as well, beautifully acted. That yes, uh, I'm sure there are some people say hell going through hell bent wasn't worth it just to get one nice small moment but hellbent was so traumatic yeah that we needed two fluffy christmas specials afterwards before we could go into a new series yeah you go get a quite a, a tone shift going from series from hellbent to the, certainly the husbands of river song but in terms of what the catalyst for change in the doctor's behavior is entirely, you know, his companion. And, you know, getting into Clara is oh, a whole different subject. That's a big I, old... I, I felt like I've talked a little bit too long. I'm happy to let you 
get your teeth into some of this. No, well, um, okay. I fear that Moffat is far too in love with the Doctor and obsessed with telling stories about the Doctor rather than telling Doctor Who stories. And I think, uh, this is where, you know, I talked about this in A Good Man Goes to War, and it's the same here as well. It just personally doesn't interest me that much. Um, mm-hmm. And Clara doesn't interest me at all. So a story where your argument is hinged on the Doctor and Clara's relationship at the expense of the outside plot, for me, that is just not enough. And that obsession with the Doctor, I really don't like the fact that in the first half of this story, the Doctor is basically Rathalon now. He's this great mythic figure that did, you know, some astonishing thing in Time Lord history that they fear and revere. And, um, you know, he can take down the president, you know, with a word. He will stand in front of a gun and, and, you know, and it doesn't terrify. And it, it just feels all wrong. Like, I know, I know you're saying it should feel wrong and it is criticised. But, like, is this where Moffat was heading when he brought back Gallifrey? Is this where, what Russ T. Davis wanted when he destroyed Gallifrey in the first place? Like, it just feels so contrary to what... I feel the Doctor should be, which is a mad man in a box having fun adventures. I, I just, mm-hmm. I can't reconcile it. I, I, it, it, it just is, it's like toxic viewing for me. I, like I said to you, I threw my cushion at the screen. I just got so angry. I'm curious. Which, which scene did you throw your cushion at the screen? The bit where he takes down Rassilon and the guy goes, no, Lord President, get off his planet. Get off his planet. And I was like, no! Oh, thank God it was only a cushion and I didn't have anything. What's really weird is how this, this feels like contrary to previous Doctors in such an extreme way. Like Troughton was scared of the Time Lords in the War Games. Tom Baker basically took the piss out of the Time Lords in The Deadly Assassin and ran rings around them in The Invasion of Time. Colin Baker railed against them in, well, every other story, basically, uh, but especially in Tri- uh, Trial of the Time Lords. Um, and now it, it's just got to a point where he's been so mythologised. Is that a word? Yeah, yeah, it is. <laughs> the The... Like he is, he is basically like what Rassilon was in the Five Doctors. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't buy it. I don't like it, and I don't want to watch it. <laughs> well, I, you know, I can't argue with taste at all. But like in the um, next story, in the Husbands of River Song, where he's so lovely and likable, and he's just having fun. That's who I want him to be. You know. Mm. I okay well, okay so make the argument for this criticism of the doctor then like sell it sell it to me <laughs> okay well again you know the visually even in the visuals of the story we are fr- it is explicitly framed that the person we are dealing with is the worst version of the doctor as we say he turns up at the barn 
uh, that is presumably his childhood balm that, that we've seen in The Day of the Doctor and Listen. Mm. And he gets rid of his doctor coat and he gets he uh, uh, dresses up in this blacker costume, which even Clara says at one point, what, what happened? What happened to that? You know, your velvet coat, that it was more doctorly. Um, and, this, and he's utterly silent in this first half. It's very much filmed by the very excellently by Rachel Talele, uh, like a Western. Um, yeah. The, and, uh, visually, I mean, this whole story, I think, is stunning visually. And the thing, the thing about Hellbent is that uh, if you don't like the over mythologization of the Doctor period you're never going to get on board with what hellbent is doing here i think but the way the way i the thing i found interesting it wasn't about the doctor revisiting uh gallifrey to like bring hell to all to all the time lords it was specifically the people who most likely perpetrated the time lords at uh, the time war uh rassilon himself it was the the most implicitly corrupt members of Time Lord society. You know, you get that scene where the, the, the military turn up and he ignores them. The High Council turns up and he ignores them. Uh, and it's only when Rassilon turns up that he, <laughs> in a bit that you gets really hate, wait. Um, and I don't know, I feel like, because you know- get, When did he develop the right to police the universe though and to, you know, stand in judgment of everybody? Like who the hell is he? <laughs> Well, you know, as the story would say, apparently the man who won the time war. Um, but the thing, I think the thing it's getting at here, the, and whether it executes it as well as it could have done is easily up for debate. I think what they're, what Moffat's trying to go for here is the, is, is trying to get the audience to around to the idea of if the, the doctor, turns up on Galloway, the first thing he is obviously going to do is probably confront Rassilon and the High Council um, uh, and probably uh, have, a, have a bit of a biff with them, frankly, because they were the ones who are established as being the perpetrators of the Time War. But it, it, it show, it, the thing he, I think he's trying to do in those instances is show the Doctor turning up on Gallifrey and toppling the corrupt establishment of Gallifrey. And it, in the first half of the story, we're not immediately meant to question the, the length, the, how far the Doctor's behaviour is going until he starts banishing people off the planet, when he banishes Rassilon and he banishes the High Council off the planet. I feel like some and dialogue is needed here, though, because at no point does he say, you know, I am... Um, bring into account those that did the time war and like they're not shown as being corrupt in those early scenes so it just feels entirely unjust that you just like we know the history of the story yeah we do as mm. but like my poor friend who was watching with me it's like well, why is he so grumpy why has he had <laughs> that man executed why has why he taken over like it, it, it's not really explicit, is it? I I didn't think it was. I, for me, well, the, the the specific thing they're talking about is, you know, the doctor talks about like, for him, it's very personal because he thinks that the time lords 
were the one who set up Clara's death on Trap Street. Mm. He think it was because of their meddling that led to her death, which is personally why he's so cross at them. Um, and then he is subjected to all that torture in heaven sent uh, to extract this information from him. Oh, but yeah, I'd say it wasn't but, worth it, really. Oh, and that is entirely true. The story literally says that. You have the general coming along and saying, the doctor, in what is probably the best scene of the entire story, mm. which is when they say the doctor was trapped in the confession diet for this long. Yeah, that's what I was talking and, about you before the podcast. That's the best scene in this, and her reaction to it is stunning. And I think, I mean... That that is for me. That is the scene that sells what Hell Hell Bent is trying to do. It's this moment where you know the Doctor has gone to these gratuitous lengths to get his companion back, uh, and even do you think she's when worth Clara, it? I I I don't even think she she thought that. Oh, well, Clara, good. Clara, she that's what Clara. I think both. Sheila and Clara sort of say that it's like that was my death. You should have left it at that. It didn't go through um, four and a half billion years of torture for Adric. <laughs> Imagine if he did. Well, that could have been time flight, uh, you know. Uh, now he'll know that he got it right. <laughs> but it does bring up a point if you can use these white runes, whatever they're called, to step into the moment of somebody's death. Then why didn't he do Adric while he was there? I, uh... He, uh, uh, exactly. Because <laughs> Moffat uh, loves it, Clara and he doesn't love Adric. I, uh... It's because he wasn't president of Gallifrey at the time. But then, of course, that raises the question of why didn't Colin Baker or Peter Davidson do it later? Um, I do have one question uh, for you. Mm? Why didn't Clara just die? Like, I'm, I'm really sorry, but this is like her third departure now mm-hmm. in this story. And I feel like they're getting, you know, consecutively worse um, each time. <laughs> like, last Christmas would have been, no, sorry, Death in Heaven, last Christmas, which was going to be an ending, uh, wasn't it? Then which was originally going to be her ending. Face the Raven. And now this, like, will you just go already? I, uh... We could have had another season with Bill. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I definitely case. see where I definitely see where you're coming from. Um, and the thing, <laughs> you know, you've really reminded me with this point of something. I'm gonna I'm gonna tie it in at the end. Mm. Um, that I think what the story is try tries to do is that it says that face the raven will always be clara's ending she has to go back there one time at some point this is just this extra time with her which by all accounts in in the story as well they say should not be allowed this shouldn't have happened and then at the end of the story you do get you know they should have made uh, her go back instead of flying off in that weird we'll dying thing with we'll that, that one from game of thrones they should have made her go back and die well, it, well, see, this is exactly what I was going to say, because, uh, you know, uh, she does say that, you know, I do inevitably have to go back and face the raven. But there is some wiggle room. Wouldn't that, like, it, wouldn't that make sense, actually, of the the criticisms that are being made of the Doctor's character that actually, ultimately, 
he has to send her back to her death. Like, Maybe. you've gone too far trying to save her. She's got to go back. There's your punishment. Right. And now we can move on. As it, oh, okay, that, you know, because I think one of the, the, the things that they go for is that, you know, they ultimately make the choice together to randomly erase one of their memories. Do you think that the decision to... Yeah, it's just so, so end, easy, end. That, that ending of erasing the memory. And it's just, it's too easy. It's too pat. And do you, so do you think it would be better if they both agreed to take her back? Yeah. To that moment? Do, I, I think that would be a really powerful acting moment as well. Well, see, you know, actually, and I feel like I should say this, Jenna Coleman and Peter Capaldi are fantastic in this story. They, they are great. But one of my strongest irritations of this is the possibility that actually Jenna Coleman could come back again, like after coming <laughs> back three times. Now, well, there's see, this, a, after, you know, this, Face the Raven, I was so happy. I was like, yeah, yeah, she's dead. She's dead. She's not coming back. Woo, woo, woo. Um, and then it was like, no, like half this episode, I'm like, oh, are you joking? And then at the end, I thought, no, no, they're going to kill her off. They're still going to kill her off. Because they're playing, they're going to kill her off. And then she goes and then it's, it's, flying off in that weird building. I, uh, do you know what? This is what I was going to say, because the implication at the end of Hellbent is that Clara flies off. We never see these stories that she goes off to have. Oh, but goodness. she, although big finish are waiting. The the Clara Oswald Adventures Volume One. Give it time. Um, Starring Sylvia Noble, the Slovene, and Sutek the I, Destroyer as her companions. And I don't know. Um uh Peter Davison is there for some reason. That's right. And obviously Colin Baker because he turns up in every series. Oh yeah, yeah, naturally. Um no, but see this is the as thing. Commander Maxil, there you go. They give give a good reason. I'll go back to Gallifrey <laughs> at some point before it's destroyed again. That's so funny. That's so funny. Imagine the cover of all the faces on it. You can see it now, can't you? Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a real who's who. And by who's who, we mean who are these characters and why are they here? Why have they brought these disparate characters together? Who knows? But it so, sells a few CDs. Who knew that Sylvia Noble, in between Series 4 stories, was just doing all this crazy shit? She was like in a trio with Clara and Sutek the Destroyer, facing oh, no. up against Maxwell or Gallifrey. I, sorry, but this was what I was going to say. So mm. the implication at the end of Hellbent is that Clara spins off. We don't see her subsequent adventures, but she eventually returns and dies in, in Face the Raven. Oh, okay. However... That's a relief. How, yeah, I think they phrase it as like it's in. It, that's what they talk about at the end of the story. It's like you know, I do have to go back there. Uh, the time lords will put me back there, but there is some wiggle room. And they take off, and they have this because she's in this nebulous time period where she has to return to Gallifrey and be put back to her death. But there's no stipulation on how soon she has to return to Gallifrey. She goes off and has these adventures. Now that uh, Gallifrey has been wiped out. Oh. Who knows? Maybe she can never go back to her own oh, death now. No, that means no. That's it. Oh, well, I take back my statement at the beginning of the story. I'd rather have more stories set on Gallifrey than more stories featuring Clara Oswald. Uh, although I do have a, a question for you again. Like, yes. do you, you feel yeah. like the the uh, the lack of death in the Stephen Moffat 
era has become a bit pantomimic at this point. It's like, Rory's dead. Oh, no, he isn't. Amy's dead. Oh, no, she isn't. The Doctor's nah. dead. Oh, no, he isn't. I mean, for goodness yeah. sakes, this is what I was talking about in The Woman Who Fell to Earth when they killed off Grace and she was just dead. Like, <clears throat> you know, death happens. It happens. Like, okay, it doesn't usually happen with crows going into you and sucking the life force out of you or whatever strange thing happened in that trap street. But it does <laughs> happen and you just have to get over it. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think it is, particularly by the end of the Moffat era, it was one of those things that people were kind of ready. Like, even me, for me, who's generally quite on board with the stuff that Stephen Moffat was at least attempting to do, uh, I was kind of like, oh, look, a character is dead. Fancy that. And then even, yeah. like, even with Bill, and then he found a way to bring... I know it was like a science fiction-y way, and it wasn't actually Bill, it was just some of her memories, but he still did it again. He suggested a death... And then found a crazy way of bringing her back and giving well, her a happy the, ending as well. Yeah, well, one of the funny things about, you know, Clara's departure and Bill's departure is they both functionally get the same kind of ending. Mm. They both become space lesbians. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, it's not explicit, is it, in this? No, I don't think so. But it's it's Good there. Grief. Like, to, they, they, they go off and... It's, it's, you just made a load space. of horny straight boys listening to this very happy <laughs> sure <laughs> I am um, but uh, like you know I actually did shout at the TV because it's a bit like Kenny in South Park and I just shouted at the telly when they were down in the Time Lord Wraith that's like the Matrix archive or whatever it is Yeah, and I just shouted at the TV why won't you just die <laughs> And I thought, I, I've become really horrid. I'm trying to assassinate companions. Yeah, just like, leave Jenna Colbert out of this. She's a good actor. She you really know, is. She did she's saddled with a dreadful character, but she's a good actress. I, uh, um, well, actually, you know, you mentioned the, the whole Matrix stuff. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, I it, it, it it's probably the the weakest appearance of the weak big angels oh, in any story. It's just over-egging the pudding again, isn't it? Having all the Daleks, the Simon, the weeping end. He's done it like, this is another one of his things. Carnival of Monsters kind of thing. Yeah, it was in what time of the Doctor, obviously um, Pandorica opens mm. and all of that, you know. Like, how many times can you do this before? I mean, it's kind of boring now, you know? Yeah, well, you know, they haven't, like, you first, obviously... The screaming the, the time best... are good. I like that. What was that? The, like the, the sliders. Yeah, the, the wraiths, are they called? Uh, the, they're called the... the there's, uh, oh, the, the... Yeah, the wraiths, I think they're called, yeah. So this is at least uh, original one, and very creepy. Yeah, it's like that. They have a line about, like, you know, the, the dead manning the battlements. Uh, which is always so that like there are like interesting ideas I think in play in the story uh, but like I think this is very much a story which entirely depends on how personally invested you are in the characters of the doctor uh, the doctor's relationship with Clara Oswald and as Clara Oswald as a character yeah. if you're if you're not you're just gonna have a 
bad time for this story. If you if you are invested, I think there's a lot of reward and payoff. There is um, there, there is one huge omission which <laughs> made me scream at the telly again, um, and that is um, you could justify bringing Clara back and taking the Doctor down this very dark path if they had a dialogue explaining how they feel about each other. And the episode deliberately cuts away from that moment. She says, oh, you know, I've only got this this time to say this now, so I'm going to say it. And then we pull away, and I'm like, what? Like, Russell T. Davis would not throw away that moment. He would make Mm -hmm. that moment count. And I was just like... This is like the antithesis of drama. I'm focusing on all the techno babble, but not the character <laughs> development. See, I, no, I like you a hundred percent. See where you're coming from there, uh, and I think in a lot of ways, dramatically speaking, you are entirely correct. Or are you? But, do, do you think what goes unsaid is more powerful than what? Because I would then suggest that he can't write characters by ducking away from that moment. But I don't know. I, I, at least in this instance, I think it's hard to say that because it comes right off the bat of one of the best Dr. Clara moments, which is very emotionally written. Mm, that's true. So, like, you know. Uh, I, think, uh, I just think that moment could have sold this episode to me. I, would, I still wouldn't think it was great, but it would have sold mm. the idea had that been. Like, I don't know, even if, like, even if they had like a a two or three minute, you know, a long dialogue scene. And you know what? Maybe that's one of the things about the episode is that, because that scene I think is unequivocally brilliant. I love that scene. Maybe it should have been longer. Maybe it should have been the bulk of the episode. Well, it just it, uh, The way it's framed is like, you know, I'm going to say something, revel- you know, a revelation to you now about how I feel about you. And then we never find out what that is. Yeah. Um, for me, I was kind of like, um, I, I again, I see where you're coming from. And I'm, and for me, I kind of was like, okay, you know, this is like, you know, the, the great unsaid, we'll never know what these characters got to say to each other, but we, we know they meant it. And it's like, it's almost like a pr- something private to the characters themselves, which although, you know, whether it's really a smart decision writing wise to keep secrets character secrets from the audience like that in a final story different subject entirely but i do see where you're coming from there um and i I, at least with that scene i think it's interesting because stephen moffat has said i think very frequently said that he thinks that scene is the best scene of heaven sent i think he often he's often said the best scene of heaven sent isn't in heaven sent it's in hell bent which is when clara says why that? Why the hell are you doing this? I was dead. Why? Why are you doing this? Yeah. Like, I, I can uh, completely get behind her in the story and her reaction to him. Mm. There's a wonderful bit in the TARDIS where she says, "He's like, oh, why don't you trust me?" And she's like, "No, not when you're shouting. Not when you're shouting." Yeah. And I'm like, "My God, Clara, go tell him. Tell him you've got to die." <laughs> and. One of the and again, there's another great line, which actually this is just an interesting bit of trivia that came out during the uh, I think Twitter, you know, watch marathons, mm-hmm. uh, which is Clara has a line where she says, you know, 
today is promised to nobody, but I am entitled, uh, but I insist upon my past. I am entitled to that when the doctor goes to erase her memories. And uh, it turns out, actually, he said that a line was originally written, a line he wrote for the girl in the fireplace for um, uh, Madame de Pompadour, and he had to cut it. And um, No wonder uh, it's such he, a good uh, line. Yeah, exactly. If you've got a good line, you've got a squirrel within somewhere. But um, he was never going to kill Clara. He, he's too in love. Moffat is too obsessed with that character. It's, it's his rose. Mm. Oh, probably, yeah. Like, you know, just keeps coming back, just like Rose. But, like, like I say about ducking away from the emotion, it would be like having that scene on Bad Wolf Bay, but not having it. So having that dialogue bit where they're like, oh, yeah, the Doctor summoned me to the bay, and then the Doctor's in the silence, and Catherine Tate appears and went, oh, yeah, I had a chow on the beach. You know? <laughs> you know? And not actually having the moment where they kind of admit how they feel. Yeah, so it's like, you know, you see the, the hologram of David Tennant appear on the beach. Uh, oh. uh, sorry, this is just reminding me of me going, like, I'm betting up a star just to say goodbye. It's John Pertwee instead. But it's like you see the hologram of David Tennant pop up. And then it's just like, and then you just have, like, a voiceover narration of Billy Piper saying, you know, and then we talked <laughs> and we said these things. Yeah, it's basically the same thing. Although I will acknowledge that the subsequent scenes with uh, Capaldi and Coleman, you can see it's not nothing's really said, but you can see in how they interact, how they care about each other. I um, and that's you know one of the things I actually quite like about the way the episode is structured, and I have a suspicion you probably don't, uh, is the the way it's framed with the whole diner conversation. Where, where they're probably my favourite moments, actually. Really? Mm. I thought you... I mean, I don't like the ending thing... where, where it flies oh, away. Oh, yeah. The... It reminds but, me no, of the I... chase, you know. So, yeah, yeah. And it's... At least for me, like, you probably have a different opinion on this, but... You know, one of the things I actually quite like about how they reintroduce, if they're going to do bring Clara back, they reintroduce her in, in the pre, in the opening, the pre-title sequence with like minimal fuss. She's yeah. just kind of there and you're just like, what? And it's like a red herring for the story to unpick. But the reason I really like those scenes, other than you get this like strange vibe of the Doctor as this kind of traveling musician, which I think kind of works for him in a way. Midlife crisis, uh, Capaldi, yeah. Yeah. I, um, uh, is the way it's structured uh, and the story sets us up to believe is that it's the doctor checking in on Clara uh, after his, her memory's been erased. Um, and he's telling her the memory erased Clara, the story of the last adventure they ever had. And then as the story goes along, it actually turns out it's the other way around. And it's Clara who's um, uh, try, who's trying to see if the Doctor remembers her. There's even that moment at the end where, you know, she says, you never know, she might be right in front of you. And the Doctor says, you know, the one thing I know is that if I saw her again, I would definitely know. And you can just see, kind of see Jenna Coleman's face kind of break a little bit I, I i it's just something i really love about the, th that like little thread of the story the mind wipe and that it's just it feels like a cheat of an ending 
mm-hmm. compared to the end of uh, Death in Heaven, which would have been, you know, like the two of them lying to each other in the cafe. That would have been oh, a great ending. Great. The, the yeah. end of Last Christmas, where he would have been visiting her as an old woman, that would have been a great ending. Um, the end of Face the Raven would have been a very memorable ending, you know, with... Mm-hmm. And this just, like, compared to all of those, which are, like, rooted in emotion, this just mm-hmm. feels like a, a lazy plot device to get rid of her, you know? And it's like, mm-hmm. so we've gone through all this, this... I, uh, do you, are there any other bits of the story that you you kind of want to get off your chest? I know, I remember you really didn't like uh, the way Brassalon was presented here. No, and Donald Sumter is a really good actor, but he is saddled with some terrible dialogue, and it's just like he. I find him a bit embarrassing and a bit pathetic, and as a result, the Doctor's triumph over him. It doesn't feel like a triumph. It just feels like anyone could have just gone. Go away, old man. You know, like yeah, you're a bit. Jacked. And he's just kind of like he's like shouting all the time. Oh, like, hey, Russell, Russell, Russell. Russell. It's like, you know, Timothy Dalton in the end of time. He might have been melodramatic, but he was pretty scary. You know. Yeah, but you know what? I think I found out like Rachel Talele said that they actually were trying to get Timothy Dalton back oh, as Rassilon, and uh, he had a, a, a contract obligation, so they recast Ross Rassilon. Um, and like actually, I say, you know, Donald Sumter is a really strong actor. In Game of Thrones, he's incredible. In previous Doctor Who, he was in The Sea Devils. He was really good. Was he? But in this, I, I, I wasn't convinced. No. And what the hell yeah. went on with the sisterhood? Like, they're kind of there, and they're talking technobabble and prophecies and bollocks. And then when the Doctor's off, suddenly, what's the woman's name? Uh, Orhilia. Ohila, yeah, who is, I think, implied to be a descendant of Ohika. Oh, okay, she's like, you know, don't run away from me, boy! Boy! It's like, why is she suddenly like a supervillain? Yeah. Come out here and face me, boy! (laughs) That's pretty... It's very odd. Very odd. I think what they're... It's one of the things this story, I think, tries to do in some places, which is... I don't know how to describe it. It's like, you know, it wants to imply without specifying all these other things that's happened that we never find out about. Like they talk about like the cloister wars mm. or... Um, I was doing the Rusty or, Davis thing of, of dropping in or the Robert Holmes thing. Yeah. Kind of, of. Or like uh, c- campaigns on Skull Moon or... Um, uh, what's it? Um, the doctor talks about stealing the moon and the president's wife. All these evocative things. Sounds so much more exciting uh, than what we're actually watching. That's a dangerous game, <laughs> which, you know. Uh, which uh, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, when you're talking constantly about the Matrix, which I think is never interesting to talk about. I think uh, is the. It's very interesting to be inside the Matrix. Mm-hmm. It's never interesting to talk about the not, Matrix. Not, not the the positronic links and. And all the that fiber optic guff. cables. I know, like when have we? It's like descended into the worst of Star Trek. I um. Oh, can but, I do it again? Uh, yeah. Just one more time. Sorry. Do the Helio impression again. Oh, come out here and face me, boy. <laughs> so, I mean, that's great, but it's such a bad line. Yeah, it's really. It funny. is kind of because, of, like, the thing I think they're trying to get out there is like to him imply that a, he- a healer 
has this past with the doctor like yeah. she was probably there but like it, it feels a bit insubstantial and the whole system and you're right the sisterhood can't kind of just turn up mm. and they're just there to literally do, do you know what it feels are. like it feels like this is utterly for doctor who fan geeks and that that is kind of like the ultimate expression of that Mm-hmm. Although that's also a criticism that I'm going to point at the Timeless Children. So the Timeless Children does not get away with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Well, I, one of the things I think is interesting about Hellbent, and I'll be quick. Well, the thing with Hellbent and Timeless Children I find really interesting is that, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to convince you of this, but I'm going to try. Okay. Um, I think Hell because they're both stories that deal with like big myth- Gallifreyan mythology, uh-huh. and uh, Hellbent kind of veers off to focus on. The do- for better or for worse, on the Doctor and Clara's relationship, and it avoids resolving really the hybrid arc, which we we barely even talked about because the resolution so intangible. There's not much to talk about. I um, whereas um, uh, I think the Timeless Children very much goes differently. It it goes wholesale for we're going to do the big epic reimagining of the law that we got in the deadly assassin kind of thing um we're going to reinvent this series yeah and i like it or not and i you know i i remember even in the marketing for series 12 they were very much like you know this is gonna be the game changer it's all gonna be nothing's gonna be the same ever again Uh, and you're just kind of like oh it's dangerous marketing and it's like Stephen Moffat said that every series yeah. for like for like six years. He did. No, like eight years. Was it? No, I, think, was I think I heard judged. someone say, what, "What is it?" Oh, he says the doctor lies, but actually the truth is Moffat lies. Very much so. Uh, but um, shall we? Mm. I'm trying. Why don't we, should we should we wrap up on Hell Bent? Give a little. I, I think thing you're right. I, oh, no, I don't. I mean, I do say that often. I'm not going to say you. I don't say that often. I think you're right insofar as if you are invested in the Doctor and Clara and their relationship and feel like it hasn't been exhausted by this point. Sorry, I have to put a negative spin on that. No, 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 um, no, 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 no. Then there is some emotional worth to be found here. The trouble I, is, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, whereas for you, it is an unnecessary resolution for two characters who had better resolutions previously, and it comes at the expense of warping the Doctor's character in a way that is uh, questionable and outright unpalatable. Yes. I will say as well, there is one little moment that I loathe so much, and that is when the, I forget his name now, the bald guy, the, the guard captain. Oh, the, the general. That's not a good sign I don't know his name because he's been in a couple of stories. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, he gets 
shot by the doctor of all things that's just wrong um then regenerates and he regenerates into a woman um a colored woman who then stands up and exhibits like I'm not sure if I'm saying this word right, but misandry. She she basically says, oh, well, oh, you know, I'm a bloke now. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm a woman now. Thank God I'm not a bloke anymore. And again, it's just Moffat missing the mark by a million miles. You do not fight sexism with misandry. I'm sorry, you just don't. That's not the right solution to the terrible, you know, misrepresentation of women in the past. You now don't go ahead and you know, criticize men in the same way. I just, it really irritates me. And like the anti-woke Pete brigade, you know, they have a point when they point out things like that. Like, that's just annoying. And I'm assuming for you it felt, uh, if I'm assuming, because perhaps in the way it's written, it felt very self-satisfied and and, and a bit tokenism and i don't know it just it didn't sit right with me like the fat thin gay anglican no named people and it just <clears throat> i don't know i just I, I feel like it's um oh it just annoys me so it just that whole scene just really really irritated me i don't think it was necessary i don't think the doctor should have killed somebody and that's exactly well, what he does well that's well yeah i and they do i think clara is very much like you just killed a man and um the doctor goes like oh you see i had a very mixed feelings about that because i was kind of like if you're gonna do the whole angle of the doctor shoots somebody and the doctor kills somebody mm-hmm. if that's really what you're gonna go for then at least have him actually kill someone because what what they do instead is that they have it. They go like it's we're on Gallifrey. To, uh, death is time lord for man flu, and I'm just like, oh, and then you oh, get regeneration, and and you're just kind of like, and then they just get up and they're spouting like Moffat's smart ass dialogue, and it's like really because this is not how regeneration has worked in the past. Mm. And um, didn't although didn't uh, the Rani say that. You know, f- um, female time lords deal with post uh, regenerative regenerative crises better than male time lords at one point. I don't remember that. Maybe, even maybe. So. I um, but I, yeah, I mean, it's I not it's I not as know. irritating as the that where Bill he, he tries to encourage Bill to shoot him. That's even worse. Uh, but let's not go there. Yeah, the, the, the lie of the land is an entirely different oh, kettle of bad, of really rotten fish. Mm. But yeah, all right, we probably should push on to the time yeah. children, because there is much yeah. to talk about there as well. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> I, I, th- I think it was you who said you have, of the two of us, you are the one with more, far more of an uphill battle in terms of winning certain people over. Well, with the timeless children? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because it definitely, it definitely left a mark. I think like people find hell bent of questionable quality, but I think the timeless children fractured fandom. (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought that Chibnall would have had more of an effect than Moffat? Who knew? 
I uh, and he, I I didn't even know that Doctor Who could fracture even more after the apparently controversial choice of casting a woman. Oh well, quite. Well, I, I think that's kind of just it got embedded after a while. The reaction to it was horrendous by some people, but as much as people kind of object, people have got used to the idea. Whereas I don't think some people can, will ever be able to adjust to the idea that. William Hartnell was, in fact, not the first Doctor. And there was a whole other backstory before that. So go yeah. on then, make the case. What, for that for that particular revelation? Oh, no, just uh, why don't you open up on your thoughts on the Timeless Children? And I'm sure we'll delve into bits of it as we go along, okay. as we always it's, do. It's I, potentially the worst fan wank you're ever going to see on Doctor Who. Um, it's uh, a horrific exposition dump that goes on mm -hmm. and on and on and on. It ignores its companions. Um, the pacing is all over the place. Yes, I am making an argument for the time as children here. Um, <laughs> I was going to say this is an odd. This is an odd way of, you know, this is like offering a crutch. This is affectionately offering a crutch to a story you just shot in the foot. The dialogue is frequently troubling um, mm -hmm. and awkward. Uh, it features an ending where a character that has hardly featured steps in and saves the day. Um, however, however, it does something quite extraordinary, and that is it <clears throat> manages to put the Doctor Who back into Doctor Who when so much has been revealed before and it has opened up a potential avenue of storytelling, revelations and ideas that can be grasped and explored in the future. And any episode that's opening out the series like that, I think is doing a really positive thing. I love the idea. I like the revelations that are revealed here. I don't think it um, pushes aside anything that we've already seen. It just adds to it. It, it even explicitly uh -huh. says that in the dialogue. Oh, yeah, because you do have that bit where Jodie Whittaker says, uh, the 13th the Doctor says, you know, you thought this would break me. Uh, but it hasn't. It just it's just shown me I'm more. I'm much more than what I was. And kind of like the difference between Hellbent and this for me is it doesn't it doesn't like pervert the Doctor's character in order to make its point. It actually it characterizes her extremely well. What she gets to do because she is sidelined for a lot of it while she's telling mm -hmm. the story. Um, and then she gets some fantastic moments at the end. I think she's often characterised it really well, but she's stunningly characterised here. Um, I love it. I think it makes sense of the Morbius Doctors. I think it makes sense of um, how Troughton doesn't really seem to be acting as if it's the first time he's regenerated in Power of the Dives. So you go back and watch those early scenes, he talks about it in a very blasé fashion. I think it makes mm -hmm. sense of why she's always felt like an outcast and wanting to get away from Gallifrey. I think if you look back, you could probably build an argument in both directions for how this makes sense or doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I feel, at least in terms of 
how it fits into continuity and how it fits into the Doctor's backstory, I think that's a f- kind of a futile exercise to really try and do that because basically <laughs> any bit of content, major continuity that has stuck to the Doctor has in some way been a contradiction of what we've learned beforehand. Exactly. Like even, yeah, like the doctor, even the Doctor having two hearts was a contradiction of like William Hartnell having one heart at, at one point. It's the, the terror sticks from the homes uh, thing of, you know, continuity is what I remember and the story I want to tell right now. Whether that contradicts <laughs> the past, I don't care. Look at the two Doctors, completely contradicts the war games. Yeah, where it's just like, you know, clearly it's like Robert Holmes in that story clearly knows what he's doing he's he hasn't just, just forgotten a naughty man isn't he yeah utterly naughty much like chris chibnall who, apparently <laughs> who literally makes everybody think he's going to create the blandest doctor who of all time with series 11 that doesn't even have an arc and then goes in completely the other direction in series 11 and you know turns well, the series on its head well okay so i you talk about the avenue of possibilities that this is open and and you know sure i can see and you know it's hard to argue against something that has such big ramifications as far as potential story potential than something like this the thing that that i kind of wonder is like what kind of stories can you tell like how can, can, how was, are, are you telling the story of like another mysterious past doctor just turning up every couple of years and are you telling because i these the years that the doctor seems to have these new years that we don't know about hmm. don't really seem like years that we can really explore because i don't think we can have a past doctor as the lead of the show again. No, um, although I'd love to see more Ruth. Oh yeah, absolutely. The Ruth Doctor, the, the Fugitive Doctor, I think. Yeah. Uh, She's amazing, I love her. And the two of them together as well, even in the one scene in this, their chemistry is oh, awesome. yeah, she's I would great. love to have oh, another yeah, story awesome. just the two of them. Um, do you know what I would do? Okay, I just, just one idea out of a hat. I would, uh, if I had to do a Doctor Light story, yeah? I tell one of the yeah. stories of what she did during the division and just cast someone incredible as the doctor. Yeah, to, like, you know, Judy, Judy Dench or Ian something McKellen. Something like that, yeah. And just do a one off, like, amazing episode uh, <laughs> where she's working for the division. That's, that, there you go, there's one thing. Uh, like, the thing for me is, is that, like, the 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 story of the doctor of the doctor's years in the division feel a bit out of reach for the series to seriously explore um in, in the sense of because i don't know i don't know what you really how many stories you can play of the doctor stumbles across this thing that she did ages ago and tries to work it out I feel, you, a, you could have stories where there are like consequences of things that she did during that time. Where like that's the true. Twist that's, leads back to that. That's true. That, and there's just so much fun uh, with the casting. You could just have too much fun with the casting of this idea of, <laughs> of previous doctors. There's a fantastic Twitter account um, where every day this guy 
or girl, but like a random person that says, this is a free Hartnell doctor. And it's like Benny from Crossroads, Mr. Blobby. Like, it just is completely random people. And, you know, that's just taking the piss out of the idea. But the idea stands is you could do some wonderful casting with this idea. Do you know, one of the things I find really funny about this story is that going back to some of the more controversial creative decisions made by Russell T. Davis or Stephen Moffat. And you're just like, oh, it's so quaint. Yeah. We got so upset about that. What is it going to make us less still in the nursery compared to us as Christian? Yeah, like, you know, oh, we've got the War Doctor. That fucks up the numbering. We were so bothered by that back back then. Although I do think Chibnall's got a nerve. There's that clip that obviously goes round and does the, the rounds about... Uh, oh, the Terror of the Verboids one. Yeah, where he's like, oh, well, there's not really much to it. Moaning about Trial of the Time Lord. And he's got a story here that's set in the Matrix with revelations about the Doctor, uh, with the Master mm. turning up. And I'm like, you're basically right in Trial of the Time Lord. You just need Michael Jason to turn up as an old man with a funny hat. No, what we need now is, uh, oh, I think Pip and Jay Baber are, are both gone, but we need them to turn up and go, well, there's really not much to it. <laughs> justice for Pip and Jay. Justice, justice for Pip. But I do, um, I do think anything that opens a series out like this, and I do think it does. I do think there are possibilities. That is a good thing. And, you know, like Moffat stressed at the end of series six, Doctor Who, Doctor Who, you know, like, really, just stop saying it, right? Chippewa's done it here. Put the question mark back in Doctor Who. Who is this person? Where are they from? Suddenly the Doctor is basically William Hartnell again, this mysterious traveller in time and place that we know nothing about. We thought we did, but we don't. The mystery's there again. You could set stories, <laughs> you know, go through that weird purple gateway and it could be a completely different realm and open up a world of of storytelling possibilities. It, it's <laughs> enticing. To me, it's enticing rather than straightjacking. It, it doesn't, like I say, it doesn't contradict anything that came before. It doesn't say that Hartnell through to Capaldi did not happen those things did happen, and she thought that was her only life. You know, so all those things stand. Mm -hmm. And I did love, I love the line that the Roof Doctor said about when have you ever been, what is it, straightjacketed by, limited by who you were before. And that's, that, you know, that's kind of like the crux of his argument there. I do think he's trying to have his cake and eat it, because he's basically saying, I want to make these, you know, series-shattering revelations. But I'm not contradicting what went before. I'm not changing too much. Mm -hmm. I'm changing lots, but 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 not what you accept as Doctor Who. But obviously, that, yeah. that didn't quite work out for some people. Mm. I uh, like. I think I do see where you're coming from. I I'm not like again. I'm not entirely sure if you can make the Doctor investigating her years as 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 an agent for the division much of an arc story no i, I, I same... think it's something that can be kind of dropped in rather than that's the focus of the series now right okay. oh, i still want it just to be like standalone story i still want it to be doctor who but i just think this is stuff that you can return to you know and build upon <laughs> mm. 
yeah, yeah, I can, I get, yeah, no, I, I do see that. I do see that. It just feels, hmm, hmm, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I'm who, very. Who I'm would very... have to be cast as a previous doctor for this idea to be sold to you? Like, who would you be like, I need that person to be the doctor? Oh, oh, no, oh no, 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 don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to the idea of there being more doctors. Like, I was perfectly on board when we had John Hurt. I was just like, cool, we're going for it. So th that's not the problem as far as I'm concerned. I just don't see how it works for the 13th doctor to be popping back into a story about the division every now and again or it just feels weird to me okay well, I, I see your point I, I think it would be quite exciting and i think i think, so, I think you could paint a much bigger it, picture but over time that i mean like don't get i i definitely see where you're coming from in terms of you know we stumble into it's that whole thing with like you know the face of evil we stumble into the consequences mm. of a past adventure that the doctor is doesn't even know that they've done and that's always a fun premise it's like, oh, what but, the hell have i done now that i don't remember surely, but, but the problem for me is that isn't that built on isn't that built on continuity in and of itself where someone's like i don't get all this stuff about the division why do i care about this yeah you'd kind of have to re-establish it and explain some bits but but that is the danger of bringing any continuity back you know, so yeah, this is that's true. like saying you should never have any continuity, but you should never refer to the past. I don't. And I, guess, I certainly uh, don't think you should lean on the past as much as Chibnall did in this episode, or as Moffat did throughout his run. I, I feel like you're you're straying dangerously into late eighties Doctor Who continuity driven. You know, where people are just turning off because they're like, oh, I don't care about Gallifrey and the Time Lords and the Cyber Lords yeah. and the Master Lords. And... Oh, good God, the Cyber, the cyber Masters. Oh, like... Well, now, now, I need to tell you that my other half thinks they're marvellous. I I think they are too. <laughs> I don't think, I, 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 I'm just more the fact that they did that. <laughs> They actually did it. They went for it. <laughs> so camp, aren't they? I was just like, as soon as I saw the collars built into the cyber helmets with Gallifrey and runes all over them, I was like, what I the wish they would like mince a bit. They're so frock. I love the yeah. idea though of them being able to regenerate. That's and and I do like the idea of them like having a time lord juicing party and all of this. I think I think it's a really grisly idea. Yeah, I think, and I think they did something like that before because you know you had the whole thing. It's it might actually have been done better here, but you know in the Witches Familiar they had stealing Time Lord energy for the Daleks. Uh, now you kind of get that with the Cybermen as well. So they're all just stealing regeneration it's energy. A, it's a really scary Lord. idea. Don't you think of like Cybermen going across a battlefield and they just keep getting up? You know, you literally cannot stop them. Mm. Yeah, and I'm hoping because at the end the master does go, you know, you lot through here as Galifrey's being destroyed. So we know, yeah, we know they're coming. They get back. away, yeah. Which is, you know, as ridiculous as the outfit is, and it is so absurd. I still haven't recovered from them. I'm just like, oh my god, they I'm, did it. 
going to be as bold to say, and this extends obviously beyond the Tigers' children, that Chibnall has done the Cybermen better than both Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat. Because I think Chibnall uh, did the, for me, the ultimate Cybermen in um, Ashad, because I think he, that is the best Cyberman of the new series by a mile. I, I think the, the, the scouts were just hilariously wonderful. Um, the cyber laws is just taking it to an absolute like it's like the you know the zenith of what you can do with the cybermen. Um, <laughs> honestly, I just I, I I think he did a fantastic job, and across those three stories, um, Diodati, Ascension, and this, like, I love all the stuff about the, the cyber wars and all, you know all the corpses flying through space and how they feel like a genuine threat in that story, or they did to me anyway. <laughs> I just think he did I, them really, really well. I I think he what he does better is that he portrays them as he he does the thing that's really hard to do with the Cybermen, which is convey the horror of them as a collective military force. Uh as opposed because I think what Russell T. Davis and Stephen Moffat did quite well was in capturing the kind of conceptual horror of them in individual moments, like, you know, in world enough and time, they are terrifying. Uh, similar sort of thing in doomsday and army of ghosts and, uh, definitely in the, um, rise of the Cybermen two parter, but they, or they fall into the, it's that whole cliche with them when they become an army, they become big stompy monsters. See, I, th um, I think Moffat throws away the Cybermen in World Enough in Time in the second episode. Uh, I, so I think I think it's a really great first episode for the Cybermen in that. But then it just kind of it's about other things in the second episode. The Cybermen are just like a an, an oncoming force, which I don't think is a problem necessarily. But I, the point is, I see where you're coming from. I'm not sure I would go so far as to say you know Chibnall has done the best work with the Cybermen. Well, I think he did better work with the Daleks than Moffat as well. So yeah, <laughs> I um, but yeah, you mentioned those. Oh, I can't talk about the Cyberheads because the flight Cyberheads. Well, I just could, I would never ever forgive Nightmare in Silver or Closing Time or, or just. We're not talking. We're not talking about those stories. Oh, okay, Stay okay. on topic. Fine, 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 fine. I'm writing uh, you in. Uh, <laughs> Well, I would also say, ooh, I could be in dangerous waters here, that <clears throat> he does a better job with the master as well, because I prefer the Sasha Dewan, is that how you say it? <clears throat> I believe so. Master to both John Sim and Michelle Gomez. I think... Disagree, but okay. this is this is as soon as you get into like incarnations of the master or incarnations of the doctor, it much becomes more in the, in the realm of personal taste. But what what, what sells Sasha Dewan more oh, to you than he? Well, uh, I mean, I shouldn't really say this. Oh, I, I I would like to to add before <laughs> I your I know exactly what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. Go on. Um, um, the the thing I would add was, you know, when Spyfall started, I was a bit apprehensive about his doctor, uh, about his master, 
And weirdly enough, when I saw him in The Times Children, I was like, fuck yeah, no, this guy's good. This guy's a great master. He's going for it. I think it's that bit where he just kind of, when he gets taken over by the Siberium and he's just going absolutely haywire, you're just like, holy moly, look at this guy go. But yeah, as I, I will say this was definitely the story where I got completely on board with um, Sasha Dewan's master. I mean, um, aside from the fact that I want to fuck his brains out because he is just the most beautiful man, that's by the by. <clears throat> I just find him like really unpredictable, very scary, really silly. He, he he's like all these crazy extremes. I never quite know what he's going to do next. There's two mm-hmm. moments in this story where he is suicidal. And they are awesome moments where he thinks where he shrinks a shad and where he thinks the doctor is going to kill him. And he's literally like the second one, he's pleading her to do it. <clears throat> he even says like, you know, I wish I thought it was going to be all over, you know, like, like you feel the weight of everything that's come previously. And there are lots of references to add even more weight to that. Um, it's mostly the performance, but I think there are some really well scripted moments for him as well. I, I just I, I find him compelling to watch, and I find him and Whitaker together riveting. That's the best of this episode for me, even if it's an ex, uh, an exposition dump. Oh, and like you know, I found find it found it very disheartening in that in a story that is so so centrally about the doctor uh she is sidelined for so much of it i thought that and particularly even in the way she's sidelined uh she doesn't even add much commentary of her own she just kind of absorbs it and one of the reasons why i found it tolerable is because Sachin Dewan is like a great actor who was able to deliver those scenes in a very engaging way. I did a bit where he's like, oh god, any idiot can turn themselves into robots. See? Oh, I, I feel like, are we about to run out of time? Uh, yes, we are. One moment, please, listener. Uh, one of the things I actually found genuinely funny in the Titans Children was when <laughs> the master is like, is like the the scientist Ashad reveals his whole plan. He's just like, okay, so your plan is to turn yourselves into into robots. That's crap. <laughs> yeah, it's just like I mean, we could do, like let's workshop this. We could do better. I love that. Like, well, he also says, um, "Oh, you look rough," or is that a choice? Yeah. He's really naughty. Mm. I I like the performance. I'm not as much of a fan of the writing. I think the character as written has been done more interesting elsewhere. Okay. Um, I, I just like you know, how sadistic he is. I do like how silly he is because I do feel like the master should be. I never felt Michelle Gomez was quite daft enough. Really? That mm. is such an odd thing to say about Not, not compared to, like, no, 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 but, like, childish enough. 
<clears throat> I feel like the master should just be a bit of a crap, you know? I, I don't. I, I feel like she was. She, I think she was frequently very silly uh, and very childish. Quite restrained in a way. And I never, I never really found her as scary as I do him in this episode. <laughs> Well, I, it, I think that's less to do with scare factor and more to do with different, going for different ideas about the character. With Missy, they were really trying to push, even from Series 8, they were trying to push the idea that, you know, the Doctor and the Master were, were and still could be friends. So they were, I think, trying to to some degree push over the qualities that make you understand why the doctor would want to be friends with Missy and why he would want to re rebuild, go to such lengths to recuperate her in series 10. Whereas in in series 12, it's a master who has found out this truth, <clears throat> which is that his own sense of individuality, everything that he's done has been built on the back without any input from him is based on the doctor and he can't stand that and it has driven him to such fury and anger and very awesome like it's like uh, self-hate on an extreme level isn't it yeah, where he's so, throwing the biggest tantrum in the world he's destroying gallifrey yeah like this so, is the man who wiped out half the universe so destroying gallifrey that's just like throwing a tea party and like there is a part of me who's just like could he single-handedly wipe out the entire Time Lord species? I don't know, but it is the master. He wipes out half the universe. This is, was exactly that's the thing. I was like, well, it's the master, so he probably did something very He's dastardly. That's some batshit crazy schemes in his time. Um, but yeah, no, I, as I said, I think Sasha Dewan and Jodie Whittaker do mm. sell these scenes quite well. There's a great um, exchange where she – oh, God, I've written it down – she says, all this death, has it finally made you happy? And he's like, ecstatic. And has it calmed all the rage? And they're and just riveting together. Definitely. But the thing I find frustrating is that the doc is that the master is so, has such a focused rage in the story. Mm. And the doctor is so passive in this story and for most of this story it, she it, doesn't a become it is a problem she doesn't become a, i think i checked she doesn't become a proactive player in the story until uh, for about 47 minutes yeah that's like the length of an entire episode of a standard episode there but i think um, when she's out of, actually before from when she meets ruth to the end it's some of her best moments I find I find the the final confrontation between her and the master that is brilliant. Um, the the how she gets out of the matrix that is brilliant. When she says to her friends, you know, you're going home and I'm going to do this, that is brilliant. She's given really good moments. It, they just come late. Yeah. Also, what the fuck, Ryan? Just going. Yeah. Let's just let the doctor do this. <laughs> let's just let her kill herself. Let's do it. I'm just like what? I don't think we should talk about the commanders because they don't really do much in this, do they? There's, I mean, there is one nice moment where you get that little bit between Graham and Yaz. Yeah, where, I really like that bit. I mean, it, it for me, it felt very unearned. 
uh, uh, well, I almost feel like it's acknowledging a criticism that those two don't talk. Yeah, and you know, but they have just spent the previous episode together. Like it's not like they don't spend any time together, you know. Yeah, but it's just kind of like I don't. Uh, yeah, this is just getting into Yaz, and Yaz is a she has great yeah. moments, but like when Graham says you're like the best human being I've ever met, I'm just like. Okay, what about your what, what about that wife that you you delivered that really touching eulogy about? Yeah, like it's um, just very well acted, though, isn't it? So you kind of go with it anyway. Yeah, you're just like you know, oh, you That's know, the you're all over. It's fantastic actors propping up some wobbly scripts. Yeah, definitely the hallmark of Doctor Who. Indeed. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean, I do really like the bit where, uh, once again, he punches Ryan's masculinity when he like, throws the bomb. And he's like, yeah, oh, he, come at me, come at me. And then they're right behind him. And he's like screaming his head off like a little girl again. It's just so funny. It's, it's also actually mentioning the sidemen. And I do like their redesign here. I do mm. quite like it. Uh, I was very surprised that, you know, this show actually has never done the what seems like an obvious trick of companions hiding inside the cyber armor. Oh yeah, that's grim, isn't it? When they actually say, yeah. you know, we need to scoop out the remains. I mean, they're very clean yeah. though, aren't they? They must have given them a good clean. Yeah, they they had some, you know, some lovely Cyberman oil polish to go with it. But I do love nice the tree. We can't get the helmet off. Yeah, it's very cute. Um, but yeah, I don't know, like. Again, you, you preempted most of my complaints because, as a drama, the whole when you ever you cut back to the stuff with the Cybermen and those companion, those the 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 refugees mm. from the Cyber Wars, it's just markedly less interesting. Uh, and you, the, by pure comparison, that the other stuff is reinventing the series. Yeah, and you've got the old guy. I can't even remember his name. He's just like, as my old Koshamus. That sounds like. Well, a, I could yeah. remember his name, but I couldn't remember that bald guard in Hellbent. Well, he doesn't. He's just called the general. <laughs> Is that his name? Yeah, well, it's hard to. The, the, our main character is called the doctor. The general. He could have at least the been. Book. What's a science fictiony name? What's a name that Chibnall would have given him? General Prakton or something like that. Yeah, it would have been <clears> too. <throat> it would have been too many syllables too long. Mm. General um, Ramsgore Kav Avkolos. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I really yeah, want to be yeah. the character called Ramsgore Avkolos now. <laughs> no, or someone to name their child. Ranskull Afghan. No, no. Oh. Ranskull, sit down and behave yourself. Don't don't make me get your your parents, Advan Collis, in here. <laughs> They'll be real tough with you. Actually, it does have a bit of a Spanish bend to it, doesn't it? Oh, it's like a Spanish sitcom. <laughs> we now return to the battle of Ranskull Afghanos. <laughs> <laughs> What's Ranskull been up to now? Anyway, we are off the point again. I I feel like, yeah, as far as any discussion about the revelation in the Timeless Children goes, the, the big one, the big thing that I have an issue with 
which is again tying into this thing about the mythology, is how centrally important it makes the Doctor to her own ups to her own story to her own upbringing. Yeah, I mean, um, we we had yeah, gone. Which and I really feel quite uncomfortable about the idea of the Doctor being the foundation of Time Lord society, the foundation of Time Lord regeneration. I think they need to avoid the Chosen One route. I don't know if Chibnall's got it in him to avoid that. But if they do, then they could still pull this off really, really well. Because I've heard that complaint. And it's not really presented that way. You know, oh, you are the chosen one. It's, you know, you are the basis of of how we regenerate. And it's just like a fact. It's not like, you know, she's revered for that. I know. But, I mean... The 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 thing the only thing about the idea that I found interesting was the fact that you know uh, the Time Lord Society is explicitly framed as being built on abuse because there is a sequence yeah. where you know her we're essentially watching like child murder, murder aren't we? Her. Yeah, yeah, several times. Does that make fact. her like the biggest monster ever to appear in Doctor Who? Well, almost certainly. She's a child murderer. I talked to you about murdering babies before, didn't I, in <clears throat> Good Man Goes to War? Yeah, so let me let me ask you this. How do you defend child murder? Um... <laughs> now you know exactly how I feel. Well, I think the visual is less Graphic. stimulating, yeah, than the baby turning into the sick. Um... And I think because it's it's not happening now, there's a flashback, that almost guts it a little bit as well. It's it, it's problematic, for sure. Mm-hmm. I, 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 the implicit thing that I took away from it is that it is framing, you know, Time Lord society, as it always has been, as we always have known it to be, as being built on horror and corruption and some level of oppression uh and so this does not feel out of character for the time lords to be doing something like that for that kind of experimentation and Um, you know and once again for triple to then just sweep it all aside at the end i mean where i was throwing my cushion at the screen and helping i was cheering at the end of the time of children yes gallifrey's gone I, uh, but I don't know. The thing, I, do, I just feel very uncomfortable with the idea that, you know, somehow, because part of the appeal of the Doctor, I think, is that she, you know, was a bit of a dropout from Time Lord Society, where she was an outsider. Why couldn't she still be that? Because she is the central figure of Time Lord society now. She the Doctor that we know, the Doctor that we met in An Unearthly Child, he thought, you know, he left Gallifrey because he was a dropout. At that point in his life, he was a dropout. He didn't know any better. That's still established. That's still the history of the show. It is, but it's no longer the origin of the character. And that bothers you that much? Because it, 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 
It does. It. I'm be honest. It does. What if he she was a dropout from the other universe? Well, they're never. It's exactly the same that. story from another Gallifrey two through the Purple Gate. But it's it's still this whole thing of the Doctor finding out the true secret of her story, and it being the story of her being the most exceptional and most important person in the universe. But they ne- they don't say she's the most important person in the universe, and they certainly don't say she's exceptional. They just say that she was abused and that those powers were grafted onto time and on society. Which enabled them to become a, a time-travelling race of immortals who control the web of time. Indeed. But they don't explicitly say that, though, do they? It did give them this ability... It's it's still heavily implied. Just because they didn't state it doesn't mean. Oh, I don't know. I just don't see it like that. I don't. I didn't get that impression. But yeah, I got the impression that this allowed them to you know take their place as this superpower. But they never portrayed the Doctor kind of in that way. Which is that she had this thing. We took it off her. Now it's ours. It wasn't like you know she's this all-amazing person that gave it to us, quite the reverse. They treated her terribly. And, but then they, I, but then this is the other thing. I don't know how I feel about this idea that the doctor then spends, they, they describe the, the time period where she's active in the division as being a huge chunk of the matrix. Mm. And that feel, and based on how the Ruth Doctor conducts herself, we can take it as like the Doctor essentially seemingly working as with. We see the Ruth Doctor very happily pointing guns at people. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It feels like did the Doctor essentially work as a contract time traveling assassin? Potential assassin. And I was just like, is that? Is Don't that even pretend the, story the Doctor tells- hasn't picked up a gun in the past and hasn't killed people. He's admitted as much. Oh, I mean, this is true. Like, the Doctor is a, is notoriously a bit of a hypocrite with his own morals. But, I don't know, the idea of the Doctor being, like, this spy who but travels around... But you find that, like, troubling, I find that exciting. If that, if that was the approach they go for, I always be like, yeah, show us that. I want to see if that. that- Sure, I mean, sure, that is a story you can tell. But if if the story of the Doctor, in, but the, it's framed as these were the Doctor's years in the Division, mm. just like these were That's... the Doctor's years exiled on Earth, just like that period <laughs> of them. And then when the Doctor regenerates again, it explicitly says, "You're a new person now." As in when they when, when she when she says become... yeah when she says when have you ever been held back by who you were before that you go on you live a new life and this is who you are now that might have been who you were then but this is who you are now but yeah i know yeah like i it's a convenient line for to say as the series rightfully should say that you know this matters but it doesn't matter yeah i was like i said it's having your cake and eating it yeah which you know, this is always going to happen whenever you do these kind of big things. But I just was better than the Moffat approach of offering cake and then snatching it away. 
Yeah, and then he eats it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did put on a few pounds uh, for out who, didn't he? I um but um I just don't you talk about all these great storytelling possibilities. And I, again, I can't make a concrete argument against that because no stories have been told no, about that yet. No, no. So it's, I guess it's what what's to come will really yeah. cement this thing. Because you could be presented with something and go, whoa, that is incredible. That justifies this. Mm-hmm. This is the point like, where those revelations have dropped, and it is on a massively long explanation scene in a pretty tedious episode. But if they pick that idea up and run with it and do something incredible, will you then say, "Oh, do you know what? Let's see where this goes." You know what? Maybe, maybe the thing for me is that the whole concept. Chris Chibnall's in charge. The thing for you is Chris Chibnall's in charge, so I can't really see that happening. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. The thing for me is that I just don't like the idea of the Doctor, essentially in these years that we haven't seen and probably won't even full, ever fully see. The implication is that she did a long service with a Gallifreyan division mm-hmm. who did intervention work. And it feels like in those years having adventures is the doctor's job the doctor has assignments she does it she isn't freewheeling in having adventures she's being given missions but then didn't you have a, an issue with like the car cartmel master plan that suggested that the doctor and Rassilon and omega were back in the dawn of time you know creating the time travel experiments but it's, it's kind of like a, a another take on that that is heavily suggested and you know Cartman went on and said that was kind of what we were hinting at <clears throat> it's kind of like a, just another extension of that and you know what the Doctor will regenerate and this will probably all get forgotten <laughs> like honestly a new showrunner will come in and this will either be rewritten or shunted aside just like the Cartman master plan was Oh, entirely. That's just the way of the show. Uh, actually, one thing I will say um, is that I actually really quite like the way they show the end of the Doctor's service, but with the filter in oh, yeah. in Ireland. Well, do you know, I think that whole thing, the, I find it very Moffat, actually. Weird for Chibnall, because he's usually a very kind of linear storyteller. For him to have basically had that huge mystery in Ascension of the Sidemen. We keep cutting back to that, which is never explained. And then to give it this explanation that actually that's not the story that's being told. That was the Doctor's origin story being told with this filter slapped on the, on the top of it. It's kind of, it's complicated for Chris Chibnall. It's, and it's more kind of visually interesting and stimulating than a lot of his stuff. I really like that idea and how it's presented and how it's explained. Yeah, and certainly the bit where, you know, Whitaker's actually standing in the room when the old man is being electrocuted in his head. Yeah. It's quite a graphic moment. It and really you see is. that little clock, uh, which is said dead uh, for services to the division. And there's a part of me that's like, is that clock a TARDIS? 
and it's that's the way it's been concealed in the memory is the clock actually the gift that they gave him was a TARDIS of his own and you kind of like you know you're left guessing about the bits that you've seen and what it all actually meant you know mm. it's unusually indirect for Chibnall who is basically yeah, as who, subtle as like you know a pipe to the head usually yeah he, he, he likes to be direct I mean, geez, you need that electrocution scene anyway, because, you know, the, the next scariest thing is mini Cyberman strapped to a bomb, which is hilarious. Although, but to be fair, a child could, could play that, couldn't they? You know, like, oh, I got a mini Cyberman toy and a, and a bomb. Yeah, I, I'm sure there are countless children over the world going, look at me, I have a death particle. Well, I think there's only about five people watching this episode, so, you know. Maybe three children and the other option is the side Five. laws and they're not exactly scary either so what was that the other you know the other scary scary thing in inverted commas is the cyber lords and they're not exactly you know they're glitter oh, they're camp no they're not scary they're beautiful i suppose you've got uh the master who is sinister oh i think he's sinister mm. Oh god, he's so, oh, he's... He's so pretty. <laughs> we get it. We sorry. get it, Joe. Sorry, I he is so pretty that man. Anyway, so uh, you know, I, I wouldn't mind if we went ahead and had the Master Adventures next year. Just, just so it's been, that's basically what this episode is. I, uh, I, you know, I just can't get over the fact that you have this this moment where the dogs is holding the button and we're doing the whole end do, of time do you have the guts again. to do this yeah. and and i think instead what we get is old man turns up and says i'm gonna press the button yes. no hard choice for you it's remarkably convenient it's, isn't it it's a real, it's a real cop out. I'm gonna say it. Is it a complete cop out? It's as much of a cop out as the Doctor's amnesia in Hell Ben. Mm -hmm. And like you know, I, the and the thing that really frustrates me is that you can do the Doctor not pressing the button and still make it a compelling moment. That's what happened in the Parting of the Ways, where the Doctor says, "Coward, any day." And it's a great moment. I feel like um, Chibnall ducks the drama like Moffat ducks the emotion. <laughs> we just need Russell T. <laughs> Babies back. He <laughs> did both. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure what a three, like a three-parter would look like if you have part one written by... Uh, who would write part one? Uh, Stephen Moffat writes part one. Yeah. Uh, Chris Chibnall writes Ooh, I don't know. part two. No, I'd have Rusty Davis write part two because he his penultimate episodes were always really good. And then you what? You'd have Chris Chibnall do the wrap up and the Actually, finale. No, I. Oh, that's tricky because they're really bad at finales, all of them. Generally, <laughs> they've all they all wrote like one decent finale, and and then. Well, actually, no, Chibnall. Well, I consider Resolution the end of Series 1. So, yeah, they've all written one decent. I, well, the one thing 
Well, though, I think the one thing we know Stephen Moffat can do is that he can do setup really well. Yes, and I do think um, Rusty Davis can do uh, momentum and lead up into a finale very well. So I'd want him to do the middle one. I, I would personally put him, Russell, as doing the third part because I think he would do the par- final character payoff very well. That's true. Yeah, and in fact, he always did character payoff well, didn't he? It was just sometimes the pots were a bit toe the earth across space with the TARDIS. So I'm not sure. That's like the Pandorica opens, followed by Ascension of the Cybermen, followed by Journey's End. Wow. That would be uh, a head fuck. And a half. Yeah, I, I think, I think at that point you're just kind of like, what, what can we do with this show now? <laughs> Give it to someone else. But uh, I, okay, I'm gonna round off the timeless children. I am not gonna sit here and pretend that this is a stunning episode of television. There are a lot of problems here. However, I find what it is setting out to do. With the series at large, it does very well and it offers possibilities for the future. And it destroys Gallifrey, and I will always revere it for that. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think I was probably a bit over the top when I gave it an 8 out of 10. I'd probably give it a 6.5 now. But I would still give Hellbent a three. Did you? I thought you originally gave it a four. Maybe it was a three, actually. Oh, it was a three. I remember. Oh, God. That's the most rantiest review. You can just see, like, the Not My Doctor Brigade people, you know, reading out that review and punching their fists in the air, being really furious. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've essentially just ranted and said he was not my doctor in that. So I guess I'm part of that brigade now. What in the hell bent one? Yeah. Ah, uh, how 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 the tables have turned on you, Joe. But in series ten, he's completely my doctor. <laughs> you you didn't rewatch Heaven Sent before before Hellbent, did you? No, and yeah, I did rewatch Ascension and the Sidemen before watching The Timeless Children. I swear, you've only seen like Heaven Sent twice, haven't you? Yeah, it's not really a go-to for me to repeat. I, I, I think it's phenomenal, but it's also a bit. No, I don't want to say dull. It's not dull. It's it's repetitive. I don't know. I just I wouldn't say it's entertaining particularly. It's just very good. Am I making any sense? I don't. That's such an odd thing to say. It's it's just very good. Well, like the creature from the pit is is very entertaining, but I wouldn't say it's very good. But I wouldn't say Heaven Sent is particularly like you know pleasurable viewing, but it is really good. Oh yeah, well it's in that kind of 
tier of stories where it's very dramatically good, but it's very it's hard viewing because it puts people. It's very emotionally draining in some corners, and it is a little dry on incident and. But that's the point. Yeah, I know. I know. All right, I'll give it a watch. <laughs> I didn't think it, that, that that wasn't the that wasn't the end point, the end goal of this whole podcast. Watch it again. But uh, what no, 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 actually, no, 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 you yeah, know, I've insisted I'm going to watch it today. Okay. Well, if that's the outcome, then of this of ranting about the hell bent of the time as children, then I'm happy. <laughs> I, uh, Because yeah. anything will seem good after those. Yeah. I, what are we talking about next time? Um, we haven't decided. Well, I think, uh, since we've gone controversial this week, why don't we continue in that vein? And uh, the, my question is, is season 24 really terrible? And that is, to be clear, that is the season starring Sylvester McCoy and Bonnie Langford That's for the right. most of it. So Time and the Rani, Paradise Towers, Belt and the Bannerman, and Dragonfire. <laughs> The 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 season that begins with Sylvester McCoy in Colin Baker's oversized clothes and a wig. And ends with Sophie Aldrich going, Ace, yeah, Professor L. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to say you have your work cut out for you, but you have your work cut out for oh, you. Oh, are you defending against? Oh, are you against? No, 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 no. I mean, I thought we were going <laughs> to... I thought we were going to defend it together. Oh, okay. Oh, in that case, our work is cut out for us. Because I was going to say, this this is a notorious season where every story languishes in the bottom of the poles. Oh, dude. Okay. No, no, go on. Go on. I think you deserve, given that you had to try and uh, defend the power of Kroll, bless you, um... (laughs) You, you, My hour. you come in against it, I will defend it. Okay, you know what? Knowing how we go, it will probably end up with us both kind of defending it at the same time, since I enjoy defending bad stories. Leave that girl. It's the man I the want. man I want. <laughs> I think we synced up perfectly there. We synced up better there than... We- ever have done whenever we try to say the nine won't be praised well on that note are we gonna try and do it let's do it yeah i think this is this is the week week 12. all right count us in no you count us in i always count us in and it goes wrong all right three two one the The nine nine won't be praised praised. (gasps) i think we did it did we do it we did it well, our work's done. Oh we won't see you next week. <laughs> That's it. We're done. <laughs> We're never doing this ever again. No, We're we'll, get uh, better uh, than uh, that. we'll never sync up again, will it? I mean, even if it does sync up, we'll probably get a lag, which will make it out of sync. I'm just, I'm just overwhelmed that we did it. I'm kind of reeling. Wow. Well, 
there you go it's uh I could, it's the apotheosis of our lives well you know what you know what joe at the end of hellbent and the timeless children and discussing them both indeed i could i couldn't be happier <laughs> before we go can i ask you one question yeah do you intend on ever watching either of these again not uh, probably but not probably not for a long while i don't think i'm gonna never again no, i think i might be done with these two well i i'm honored i'm gonna pretend that, that, to... that they've been swept away along with gallifrey i am honored that i had the the privilege of sharing your last viewings of Hellbent and and the Timeless Children with you. Well and well. and consequently all our listeners. <laughs> all nine million of them. All nine million of them. Slightly just listening less. going just going, yeah. Yeah. I'm happy to be here too. Maybe we'll put them off from ever watching Hellbent and the Timeless Children ever again. That Oh, I feel like our work's done then. Yeah. Should we just sign off now? Yeah, okay. <laughs> See you next time. See you next time.